Hello, this is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach, and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva. And I'm here today with Dr. Felice Gersh, and I'm really excited to be speaking with Dr. Gersh and introducing you to um, to her work. Dr. Gersh is one of only a small number of fellowship-trained integrative gynecologists in the nation. She blends the best of the world of natural and holistic medicine with state-of-the-art functional and allopathic medical treatment. Because of her extensive knowledge of the complex interrelationships of the body's organs, she recognizes the need to investigate all aspects of health, always working to reestablish a healthy gastrointestinal tract, adequate sleep, good mood, great nutrition, high energy, and balanced hormones. She's an expert in all areas of women's health and particularly of gynecological and reproductive matters. Dr. Gersh deals in an integrative manner with PCOS, and she's currently writing a book on polycystic ovarian syndrome as well as a chapter um, on the same topic for a medical textbook. So welcome, Dr. Gersh, to our podcast. Well, thank you, Amy. It's just an absolute pleasure for me to be here and to have the opportunity to address this just incredibly important topic with all of your listeners. And I, I think that it's about time that we got the word out that PCOS is really hugely about inflammation. And it's just such an amazingly complex condition and uh that's why it's not really owned by very many physicians because it's just too complex involving so many different organ systems. But I think we're just about at the point where we have a handle on it, at least really are beginning to understand who it affects and, and how and what we can do about it. So I think this is a great opportunity to really get out some of the brand new information on this topic. Well, I can't wait to dive into that. Um, I just I love the fact that as a medical doctor, you know, you're also looking at in taking that holistic approach, you know, seeing if your patients are getting enough sleep, you know, what the mood, their moods are, um, what their energy levels are, um, looking at the gut. Um, you know, a lot of traditional doctors are not kind of taking that more holistic approach, and this is so refreshing. Well, we in integrative medicine, and as you said, I did the fellowship at the University of Arizona School of Medicine, which was under uh, and is under the directorship of Dr. Andrew Weil, um, we take the approach that the word integrative medicine should be dropped and all medicine should be approached from an integrative point of view, which means that you look at the whole body. Of course, no organ system exists in, in a vacuum. We all live with this complex interplay between all our different organs and the environment and our stressors and, and so on and so forth. And uh, we need to look at the person in the context of all of that and then look for ways to maintain and improve health using the most natural and safe ways, not jumping into immediately surgery and pharmaceuticals, although there certainly can be a place for those. But we recognize that doctors don't heal patients. Of course we don't. We don't have that kind of power. What we do is try to enable people to resource their own healing abilities to then reestablish their own health. And, and that means to incorporate people like you, health coaches, because you have to look at your lifestyle, your exercise, your nutrition. And we believe very strongly in something that 
seems to be disappearing at a rapid rate, and that's what we call the healing relationship, the relationship between the physician and the patient. Just having someone there physically, emotionally, it can be physically through the energetics of a telephone, but having someone there who cares about you, who's listening, you know, spending time with a patient, these are critically important things in the healing process, and that's all key to being an integrative physician. And unfortunately, in conventional medical practice, often the visits are you know, seven minutes, five minutes, and half of that is spent with somebody pounding into a computer system. And that just isn't the way that medicine should be practiced. So we believe in looking at all of these different aspects. And of all the medical conditions that exist, if there isn't one that is more deserving of that kind of approach, it's polycystic ovary disease, one of the most complicated and complex conditions involving virtually every organ system of the body. And uh, so it's actually perfect for an integrative approach. Yeah, and and I recently um, listened to one of your um, talks at for the the A Forum, and you talked about taming the flames of PCOS, and you really took a unique approach looking at PCOS from an inflammatory standpoint. And I'd love for you to share some of your um, you know insights and wisdom around. PCOS and inflammation with our listeners. Oh, absolutely. It's amazing to me that the word inflammation and PCOS are not coming up together more commonly. In actuality, going back to as far as almost 20 years ago, in 1999, it was first discovered that women with PCOS have elevated levels of inflammatory cytokines. These are little communicators in the body that should work to help the body heal when there's some kind of trauma. But unfortunately, in women with PCOS, the whole system involving inflammation is just tremendously upregulated. Um, so we'll definitely talk about that. If it's okay with you, I'd like to spend maybe five minutes for those of your listeners who maybe don't have the degree of background as some others, just to list some of the different symptoms and so on that women with PCOS experience, and then I can link them to how this all relates to inflammation. So first of all, as you I'm sure all know, that PCOS is the most common endocrine dysfunction of all women. And depending on who you ask and who you um, read, it can actually affect as many as one in five women, women today, but with very different degrees. It's a very um, varied in, uh, in terms of its manifestations and the severity. About 80% of women with PCOS have some problem with being overweight or obese, and they're at very high risk for developing diabetes and metabolic syndrome. In fact, about seven times the average risk for those kinds of things. And unlike what some people think, PCOS is a lifelong condition, which I'm going to tell you about. It actually can start at birth and it lasts your whole life. It does not resolve after menopause, even though some of the the manifestations like acne may resolve. In reality, the underlying problems involving inflammation can actually be exacerbated in menopause, and can a I lot of times women will get worse. Yeah, let me interrupt you. I'm, I, I just really want to um, bring that message home. I, I can't tell you how many women um, post on PCOS Diva saying that they are getting a hysterectomy or their doctor's recommending a hysterectomy now that they're done with um, 
you know, childbearing to alleviate the symptoms of PCOS. Maybe you could just address address that. It's um, it, is a hysterectomy just solely to alleviate PCOS symptoms advisable? Um, I certainly don't believe in doing prophylactic hysterectomies. In fact, um, that's a whole huge story I'd love to address in a whole lecture. In fact, even the American College of OBGYN, the sort of um, parent supervising organization that many OBGYNs belong to, they actually say that about 70% of hysterectomies are not medically indicated, and in women under the age of 50, about half of them, it's like hard to believe, about half of them do not even have the so-called pathology that's being listed as the reason for doing the surgery in the first place when the uterus is removed and looked at under the microscope. So it's really a terrible travesty what is going on in terms of hysterectomies. There are so many ways to control, say, the bleeding issue, and women with PCOS can be managed so that their risk of uterine cancer is not elevated by um, balancing them with, you know, just adding a regular progesterone into their regimen if they're not ovulating regularly, and actually by using some of the supplements and herbals, which we'll definitely touch on, we can get most women to actually ovulate regularly and using lifestyle, all the things that you do, Amy, to help women lose weight. I think that a hysterectomy is indicated if a woman, of course, has endometrial cancer, absolutely, but for prophylactic reasons, absolutely not. And as well, we now know that after women have their uterus out, even if they've completed their childbearing, assuming they're not far into menopause, it tremendously can impact on their ovarian function and can very much um, make them accelerate into menopause. And women with PCOS have earlier menopause traditionally anyway. And, and hormones are essential to function in the body. So by doing a hysterectomy just for, you know, removing the, the bleeding source is going to increase their risk of cardiovascular disease by impacting on their estrogen, which is all already an issue, and accelerating their risk for cardiovascular disease, which is already increased. So I guess you get my answer. The answer is yeah. no. <laughs> Definitely right. don't do that. Get another opinion. Don't, don't just rush and have surgery. And people can have complications from surgery. They can have, uh, you know, you have to sign a consent form that says, I could die. You know, you don't want to do something that's not necessary where you have to sign a consent that says, and I could die. So we don't want to do that if we don't have to. Oh, um, but I'm so glad that you that. brought that up because it is just, um, just crazy that the idea of just taking out a uterus for that purpose. Yeah. So... Um, yeah. And then let me just touch on um, some of the many symptoms, and all of these relate to inflammation. Um, having too much uh, hyperandrogenism, that's like testosterone and DHEA, and then acne, often extraordinarily resistant to conventional treatments. And, you know, I'll throw out that, for example, isotretinoin, the Accutane, that only benefits maybe maybe 30%, almost all women with PCOS will just have a rebound and just, you know, even if they initially respond, they will exacerbate their acne. And what's very interesting, I can touch on acne, and I would love if you ever want to do a whole program just on acne because that's a huge issue impacting so many with P women with PCOS, is that we know that acne is actually inflammation manifested visibly on the skin. And when you actually 
do a biopsy of the skin of women with cystic acne and with PCOS, but you biopsy a spot that actually looks normal at that moment. It doesn't show any signs of, of pimples or cysts or anything. If you biopsy that part of the skin, it won't be normal. It will show inherent inflammation. It has reduced ability to make glutathione, the master antioxidant and detoxifier of the body. The actual sebum doesn't have the same ability to fight inflammation as other women's sebum. So it's like a whole intrinsic site of just like like flame itself. The skin is on fire. Talk about taming the flames of PCOS in the skin. The skin is like on fire. It's all inflamed. And um, giving um, Accutane does not resolve that and often creates terrible side effects with irritable bowel syndrome, which can be for life. So we, you know, that's a whole huge thing. And a lot of the things that we'll talk about will, as a side benefit, a lot of it will help the acne. And then women often lose their hair. They get like the androgenic alopecia. They get all the problems with their menstrual cycles from not ovulating at all to having just random bleeding, infertility, of course, and pregnancy complications. That's one of the things that is really a problem with women with PCOS. Often they're pushed into getting pregnant by these um, infertility centers doing IVF and their bodies are sort of tricked and they actually can get them pregnant. But even when that happens, which has a lower success rate in PCOS women, what often happens is they have a much higher rate of spontaneous first trimester miscarriages and all the complications of pregnancy with preeclampsia and hypertension and small for gestational age, preterm, malpositioned, um, and, of course, gestational diabetes. And the, the people get them pregnant and then just, like, throw them out into the, into the world, and they have so many problems and complications. So before, please, like the message to all of the listeners here, before you try to get pregnant or go to any of those centers, we must get you healthy first so that your body is going to be properly prepared for, for being pregnant. We've got to get everything better and get the inflammation down. And surprisingly for a lot of women, since they have high testosterone, women with PCOS often have low sex drive and other sexual problems, often have um, a lot of emotional problems, which are actually linking not just circumstantial, but actually to the hormones that are um, affecting us when we are PCOS patients. And as well, we have high levels of insulin, glucose intolerance, high lipids, and uh, visceral obesity where we have um, a lot of uh, fat in our, around our internal organs. And one of the things I want everyone to know is that the level of fat around the internal organs is elevated even in women, the 20% who are normal weight and thin. They also have this intrinsic level of inflammation and elevated what we call visceral fat and um, lining of the arteries is not proper. We have endothelial dysfunction, higher levels of fatty liver, and higher blood pressure. Um, there's higher levels of autoimmune disease and GI problems, arthritis, tendinitis, vaginal infection, sleep problems, higher levels of cancer, and so on. So that's all the bad side. We got that out of the way as fast as I could because we want to get to the, the, um, the story of what all this is in terms of relating to inflammation. And then the best part is what you guys can do to reduce this level of inflammation now, you know, right away to, to improve your health and your futures. 
So um, one of the things that I know, Amy, that you said you would love for me to touch on is the whole issue of the GI tract and how that yeah. relates to inflammation and how that is really intrinsic to the inflammatory problems of women with PCOS. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to go into that. Would that work for you? Yeah, that sounds great. Please. Okay, so the GI tract is now recognized in integrative and functional medicine as like the center of the universe of the, the health of an individual. All things start in the gut. And in fact, it starts at birth in the gut when the, um, the bacteria that line the intestine, that work in our intestines, starts to get formed. And we call that the microbiota. And that's why it's so important now to breastfeed and um, to feed real food, not chemical food, to our children and uh, to introduce food and the right food at the right time and, and so forth. It's also why it's so beneficial to have a vaginal delivery as opposed to a cesarean section delivery when possible because the last month of pregnancy, the vaginal canal of women who are pregnant changes its microbiota and becomes heavily populated with various forms of lactobacillus. And these are this is in preparation for the baby coming through and getting completely coated with this lactobacillus, and that becomes the foundational gut bacteria. But what happens now if many children are born by C-section, sometimes that is absolutely necessary, of course, and many children are not breastfed for very long or sometimes not at all. They're given antibiotics sometimes unnecessarily, sometimes necessarily. In fact, the American Academy of Pediatricians now urges pediatricians to not give any antibiotics to children under the age of two unless it's really beyond essential, absolutely essential, because it's recognized that during the first two years of life is when this really essential bacterial formation in the gut occurs. So what is now believed, and one of the reasons why PCOS is just escalating in its incidence, is what's happened to the way we've been brought up. Our food is so different now than it was when um, our grandparents and our great-grandparents came into the world. We have all this processed food, and you know, even dairy products are all pasteurized. We don't get the natural bacteria. So it's really a totally different type of food source and, and you know, with all the C-sections and so on. So in women who have a genetic predisposition, and of course genetics plays a role in everything, you have what we now call epigenetics, and that means it's the complex interplay between your genetic predispositions and your environmental exposures. And that can just create scenarios where previously disease did not exist, but now it does because of this just complex interplay. So we know that women with PCOS do have a genetic predisposition, but now that, ge that genetic predisposition is being manifested because of the environmental impact of all that's happening. And so more and more women are developing PCOS than they ever have in past years. I know in my career I've seen an explosion of PCOS, whereas when I first came out in practice, it was really quite uncommon. Now it's, like I said, it could be as high as one in five women now has some degree of PCOS. So um, it's all of this that's happening. And what happens in the GI tract is that you get this low level of inflammation because of the wrong bacteria that develop in there. 
and these bacteria produce these little toxins that we call lipopolysaccharides, LPS, and these can pass through the gut wall and lining the GI tract is 70 to 80% of all of our immune system in the entire body. And it's there to protect us from ancient days when people would eat food that may have been tainted with bacteria and so on. So we evolved to survive by having a lot of our immune system surrounding our GI tract. But it's more than just to protect us. It actually is like a sensor. I think of our the gut, the gut immune system, which we call the GALT, the gut-associated lymphatic tissue. I consider that like our human equivalent of antenna, like little insects have antenna to feel their environment and to check. That's what our little gut bacteria do in communication with our immune system. They work together to sense our environment from what goes into our mouths. And that's why children are supposed to put their fingers in their mouths, right? They're supposed to explore. That's how our bodies learn, how our immune systems learn. And then our immune systems, in turn, communicate with our brains. And it's like this amazing system between the bacteria, the immune system, and the brain. And we're learning more and more about that, and that relates to so many things, like including autism. But in terms of PCOS women, what happens is the system is from the early stages becomes dysregulated and the immune system becomes like hyper hypersensitive and it's in that immune system that you can make a lot of inflammation, inflammatory cytokines like tumor necrosis factor alpha from the mononuclear cells. So I don't want to make it too complex. So we'll just say that there's this inherent inflammation that can exist within the GI tract that is related to the wrong gut bacteria communicating through these signals with our immune system and then communicating with the brain and creating this very hyper-regulated, up-regulated system for creating inflammation. And we develop, as PCOS patients, a high sensitivity to glucose, much, much different than the average person. And they've done many studies on this. So I, I like to tell women, you have the equivalent, of course, it's not really an allergy, but it, people can think this way. You have an allergy to sugar and everything that turns into sugar. So that's, of course, carbs, right? Carbs turn into sugar. Now, as well, if you have excessive intake of protein, that can also turn into sugar. But what can never turn into sugar is fat. And that's where we can talk about the nutritional part in a bit. But so it's when you, are, as a PCOS woman, consume any food that turns into sugar, whether it be bread or um, cake or actual sugar or starchy vegetables, cereal, so on and so forth, that in your body triggers an explosion, a real, like a real explosion of inflammatory cytokines, these inflammatory little creatures that go out and create inflammation systemically all over your body, creating havoc. And we now know that these inflammatory cytokines, they increase insulin resistance dramatically. They create more and more trouble. So you have this sort of snowball effect where you already have intrinsically a resistance to, um, to insulin. You already have a problem. That's built in, which we can talk about in another lecture. But you already have problems. And this just magnifies it. So it's so critical to to eat foods that have um, 
very low carb content, very low carb content, and also to eat foods that help to heal the GI tract, things like fermented foods, like natural sauerkraut and kimchi Mm -hmm. and kombucha tea, things that have bacteria in them to help seed the gut with the right kind of bacteria because you want to have the healthiest GI tract you can, absolutely, so you have a healthier GI tract, so you have less of this inflammation that's going to be occurring and less of these um, molecules called LPS going and causing your inflammation through the GI tract wall that holds all that immune system. So it's a really complex thing, but the real maiden take-home message is you need to have a healthy gut, you need to eat real food, you need to stay away from chemicals and antibiotics as much as possible, and you need to um, reduce your carb intake to the bare, bare minimum because you are like hypersensitive to every little carb that comes in. Your immune system will explode with these inflammation markers that really create havoc throughout your body. And that, in some people's minds, may be one of the key reasons for the explosive increase in PCOS today. So that is like really, really key to um to controlling the PCOS is having a healthy GI tract and then really eating healthy foods with good bacteria and taking a good supplement with um, probiotics. A big um, part of it can be just taking a supplement, but I always try to do real foods if I can. So you can eat fermented, excuse me, you can eat fermented foods. And also, as another thing, just as a side issue, and I know this has come up in other lectures, stress. I know you deal with that a lot in your practice. Stress causes GI inflammation. And everyone knows that, right? People say, butterflies in my stomach, I have a nervous stomach. So the GI tract is just completely linked to your brain. So the more stress you have, the more inflammation you get in your GI tract as well. So um, it's uh, really wonderful to do meditation, guided imagery, relaxation, breathing, and uh, massage, and all the different things that you can do to try to reduce stress in your life. Yeah, I know that's a lot uh, for people to take in, but um, at least, you know, they'll remember the basics. You know, healthy gut reduces inflammation. Low carbs reduces inflammation. Well, I love hearing that nutrition message. And I just want to, on a side, point people to the podcast from um, Summer Bach. She's a master fermentationist, and she talked to us all about fermented food. And and she recommended having a couple um, forkfuls of raw sauerkraut every day um, to help us heal our guts. And uh, and I love that you have the same recommendation. And just to point out that it has to be raw. It It cannot be... Um, you know, sitting on the shelf. At one, you want to look for it in the refrigerated section and, so that you make sure that it does have all of those probiotics still intact. Um, and I also was going to mention bone broth. I know that has really, I think, helped me um, heal my, my gut, my, you know, leaky gut from all of the gluten consumption I've had over um, years past. Um, so natural bone broths, I think, can be really helpful as well to heal gut. I'm glad that you mentioned that. I personally make bone broth every single week using um, a free-range pastured chicken that we can buy at our local farmer's market. And uh, do you have those recipes up on your site also how to do bone broth? 
Yeah, you know what? I will post it. That's a good idea. I'll post it under um, this podcast, my my uh, link to my bone broth recipe. I have an article. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. um, important to add a little vinegar to your bone broth to help to leach out those minerals um, from the bones too. So that's something that I always do. Um, and yes, stress is so important. We have an upcoming podcast with one of your colleagues, Dr. Victoria Mazes, and we're going to be talking about stress and fertility. And um, she's going to be sharing some of her favorite ways to de-stress um, in different uh, modalities with us. So that's something to look forward to. Um, But why don't you um, maybe give us some idea of how can we work with our doctors to find out, um, you know, about our inflammatory markers? Absolutely. What do we test for? Right. Well, I I believe in the old adage, if you can't – you can't really monitor something if you never measure it. So, I mean, we all know how to get on the scale. We can certainly monitor our weight. That's pretty easy. But what about monitoring our inflammation, right? That is really something that is new and novel. And sad to say, as you know, most doctors just don't know about this. So, You, the consumer, the patients out there, you need to take the information I'm going to give you now and bring it to your doctors. And and I'll give you also resources, and I know you're going to post it as well, Amy, on the site so that people will know how to deal with this. So in terms of measuring this inflammation, so all women with PCOS, whether they're thin or heavy, are all inflamed. And of course, the women who carry the extra weight not only have the burden of inflammation that is intrinsic to the condition called PCOS, but they have the added inflammation that comes from carrying the extra, the extra fat. And we know now, and um, this would be another whole lecture, which I would love to give some time, on the whole issue of fat as an endocrine organ and the, adipotine, the adipotines, the, uh, the hormones that that are made by the fat tissue itself and how they actually can benefit or harm you depending on the kind of fat you have and the deposition. So, But we know that women who carry extra fat have extra inflammation, so it's sort of like a, you know, more, more injury on top of injury. So in terms of monitoring the inflammation, I personally utilize one of the most prestigious labs in the whole nation called the Cleveland Heart Lab, and they are an innovator in terms of inflammatory testing. We know now that, for example, cardiovascular disease, which of course is significantly greater um, in, in women with PCOS and their risk for it is greatly heightened, that inflammation is really an independent and key risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And as I mentioned, inflammation itself creates insulin resistance. And so it's just a horrible cycle of downwardness in terms of health when you have inflammation on board. So we need to measure inflammation so we can see as women go through the lifestyle changes, the dietary changes, the the reducing stress and, and getting more sleep and all the wonderful lifestyle things that you promote, Amy, that we can see how their inflammation status is improving. So some of the labs that I always get I get like a whole panel of little inflammation panel testing, and it includes the following. Um, I get F2 isoprostanes. Now, what that is is an amazing new urine marker for what's called oxidative stress. 
And so you can actually measure this early onset of oxidative stress through this urine test called F2-alpha isoprostane. So that is a wonderful test. And you can see also, Amy, this is good for you to know, you could follow patients and see if they're cheating. You know, they, sometimes people don't want to admit that maybe they had, you know, a few bad days and they just don't want to say, you will never be able to get away with it with this test. It will, it will reveal you, you if you have oxidative stress. Another test I always get is um, one that is unique to the, the Cleveland Heart Lab, which is called myeloperoxidase. Now, we mentioned that you have these inflammatory processes and you have white blood cells called mononuclear cells that are um, invading into the um, lymphatic tissue and the fat tissue, and these are part of our natural system to fight infection or to help heal it, it wounds so that they don't get infected. So these are like the killer chemicals that come out of white cells. Now, this is essential if you're fighting an infection in your skin, if you have a cut, and that's what can create a little bit of redness and irritation when you get a cut. It's your body's immune system helping to kill bacteria. The problem is when it becomes dysregulated and you have these toxic types of chemicals coming out of our inflammation cells, but it happens in our artery walls. That's a problem. And then you can have increased risk for plaque and unstable plaque and cardiovascular events like heart attacks and strokes. So there are now studies that show that women with significant polycystic ovarian syndrome will have elevated levels of myeloperoxidase. So we can monitor this particular test to see specifically what's going on with the inflammation. As well, I get oxidized LDL. Now, we know that LDL is no longer bad cholesterol, HDL is good cholesterol. That is like a concept from 50 years ago. You have to look at very uh, much more specific things. And now we know that LDL, which is essential to life, um, is only a problem when it becomes rancid, like oxidized. And that we can now measure. As well, I measure... Um, adiponectin. Now, adiponectin is one of the hormones that's produced by fat tissue, and women with PCOS have very low levels of adiponectin. And adiponectin is a good hormone. It's anti-inflammatory. It promotes fat burning. It reduces insulin resistance, improves glucose transport. And we, as PCOS women, have low levels of adiponectin intrinsically. And we now know that you can measure this, and this is great. If there are any pediatricians out there or you have children, you can measure adiponectin in children as young as seven years of age, and you can predict who will get PCOS by this wow. marker. This is like phenomenal new news because adiponectin is low. We are predestined to develop um, PCOS based on our genetics if we're triggered by the wrong lifestyle. So if you knew that you had a child, a little girl, and she's seven, and her adiponectin level is too low, then you would know, okay, you just have to be super strict. You cannot let her have very many carbs. You can't let her put on weight. You have to do more exercise and look at stress. So you can now actually pick out the kids before puberty when things kind of go crazy and actually be very proactive with this adiponectin level. And uh, so adiponectin is really one of the future types of markers. You'll see these different markers, these hormones made from fat tissue, which are um, dysregulated in PCOS women. 
Um, I also get the more standard test, the high-sensitivity C-reactive protein, which is made by the liver, and it's in response to those, what I mentioned, the inflammatory cytokines like tumor necrosis factor alpha. You can't easily measure directly those cytokines. They're very unstable. So although some labs are trying to do that, but that's not recommended. They're unstable, so they're not reliable, except in a testing situation. So you measure their um, their sort of marker, which is the high-sensitivity CRP. And that is not completely specific because if you're sick, if you have a cold and so on, that will be elevated, but you can watch the trend over time. And you definitely don't want to test that when you actually are sick with something. Um, as well, I get the plaque test, and that is a measure of calcification under your endothelial lining. So it's kind of like the quiet big volcano. Do you have that in your body? And um, especially as we get older, we definitely want to watch that. And if you have a high level of plaque and you have a high level of myeloperoxidase, you're at multiple times the risk of having a cardiovascular event. So as you get older, remember, PCOS does not go away at any time in life. And just hitting menopause does not does not cure you. Neither does taking out your uterus. <laughs> That's not going to cure you. Um, so it, this is for life. So we definitely want to be aware as we get older, we get more risk for cardiovascular events. I also like to monitor homocysteine, which gets into another whole giant topic, which is the whole vitamin B situation and if you are a good methylator. So I don't want to get that. It's like too complicated now. But you can just know that homocysteine is another independent risk marker. And then also, um, especially as women get older, I like to check their mycoalbumin, which is actually an independent marker for, like, leakiness. Like you mentioned, which was great, leaky gut, which is another whole giant topic, which, of course, relates to gut inflammation and gut health. Well, you can have leaky everything, right? So if you're PCOS, if you have leaky gut, you've got leaky brain, you've got leaky kidneys, right? Because everything becomes sort of porous. And, and the microalbumin is a measure of, like, leaky kidney. So And that's easily measured by just a urine test. And then the last thing that I am getting more and more now, but it's expensive, but it's, and it's, but it's very cutting edge, is telomeres. Now, telomeres relates to um, sort of your real age because telomeres dictate how long we can potentially live. And there are now telomere tests that have been shown to correlate with potential fertility. So this is the group that really should think about getting their telomeres. Like say you're in your early 20s and you're thinking you're going to have a career and you're not sure when you want to have kids and you're a PCOS patient. Well, maybe you want to check your telomeres because if you have short telomeres, you may not want to delay childbearing because shortened telomeres are affiliated and associated with a shortened um, reproductive lifespan because it, uh, it and, and it also is something that um, would want to motivate you to really look at your lifestyle if you have shortened telomeres. So actually, I, I'm just having mine tested this coming week, so um, I'm going to cross my fingers I don't have too short of telomeres from, from years and years of sleep deprivation, which can shorten your telomeres from all those deliveries I did at 3 a.m. But, you know, I have to, you know what, better to know the truth than to pretend, right? So that's why we want to get markers. We want to know. Not knowing is not helping anyone. So by getting all these tests, we can then monitor over time as their lifestyle changes and their, their habits change. We can see this level of inflammation going down, and uh, it's just a wonderful thing to, to report to people. Guess what? All these markers are improved. 
So um, I would urge all of your listeners to um, use the resources to access the labs from the Cleveland Heart Lab and find physicians that will actually order these tests and so on. And I think all that information on how to access it is available or will be available on the website. And as well, just um, this past month, the Cleveland Heart Lab put together an educational website for both practitioners and for the public to actually access all kinds of webinars and uh, webcasts and to actually learn about these labs. You can actually read about each one of these things independently on the, on the website. So you can, you know, sit there at your leisure and learn about all these things because it, t- it took me a long time to learn all this. I can't expect all of you out there to, um, to really get a handle on all of this in the, in five minutes, but this is a great resource. So you can sit at your leisure and learn more about this. Yeah, it, this is such great information. I'm always telling um, PCOSD this, that you have to educate so that you can advocate for yourself. And um, I, I think, too, really looking for a doctor that that looks at this inter, you know, functional integrative um, side of PCOS. And I know you practice in Irvine, California. You... Um, have the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine. So if somebody is in the Irvine area, they can certainly reach out to you. I will uh, post all of your um, contact information below the podcast. But if somebody is not in California um, and they want to find a functional or integrative doctor that would um, be open to do this kind of testing and look at a holistic um, approach to PCOS, how can they find someone? Well, I I find it very challenging, and it's, it is very discouraging how few doctors are really on top of all of this. What we are creating, um, and it should be available very shortly in my own practice, is a residential program for patients coming from around the country so that they can actually come and, and see me, um, where they can come and stay for maybe a week, get all these different tests done, And the way right now the law works in California, every state is different, in order to be a a patient of a doctor, you need to have an in-person physical visit with that doctor, but only once every 12 months. So you can actually uh, come out and have a visit with me and my practice just once a year, and then we can remotely do a lot of things after that point. So that's one option is to take advantage of our new residential program and then do everything else remotely and just come in once a year. And that may change as well because telemedicine, of course, is on the uptick. Otherwise, what I would probably suggest is to go to some of the organizations that support uh, fellowship-trained and integrative and functional medicine doctors like the Um, Institute for Functional Medicine, the IFM, or the A4M, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, and I work with both of them. I'm a regular speaker at the conferences for the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, and I'm personally a member of both of those organizations. So that would probably be about the best way to approach it. But even within those groups, um, when I speak to them and educate the doctors who are very on top of functional medicine, often they really don't know too much about polycystic ovary syndrome. It's, it's really um, 
the hidden disease that I call it the hidden epidemic. It's worldwide. It's the most common endocrine disorder of women. And most doctors know almost nothing about it, even functional medicine doctors, because they're dealing with so many other things. But that would probably be the best way to start. And as well, if you want to, if you have my email, if any patients out there and women want to specifically email me, I can try to use my network. I belong to the um, the Society for Polycystic Ovary Syndrome and so on, that I can reach out to some of the academics in the nation who may be in the area of those women. But I'm happy to be a resource and try to put people together with other physicians in their area if they can't really come out to California because it is truly a challenge. As I know you know, it's, it's such a hard thing to find doctors who are going to do more than just give what we call pill to the ill, right? The birth control pills and metformin and call it a day. And that is just not getting to the root cause and not really addressing all the issues, not not even by a long shot. Right. Well, I, you know, I'm just so thankful that you've taken the time to, to be with us today, and I would love to invite you back to talk about some of these other subjects, certainly methylation and um, acne and there's stress. I know. And, you know. I know. This is why doctors, when they see a patient with PCOS, they want to run away because they're so complicated. I mean, we haven't touched on another whole area, which is um, endocrine disruptors. The, there's now a great deal of theory that another huge trigger for women developing polycystic ovary syndrome is early exposure to bisphenol A and how that interferes with the estrogen receptors. I mean, this top, I mean, we need, let's we talked about this before um, we began the uh, the podcast when Amy, you and I were speaking about how we need to put together something that's going to be like a week-long program because, um, you know, we have to stop because of the time is up. But there's so much more to say on this topic. It's, it's really, uh, you know, I could put together with you um, a symposium that could easily take a week. <laughs> it's, there is just so much to be said on this topic and, and, well, both of us are just dying to get the word out. Yeah, and and um, it, you you are one of the um, kind of few physicians, practicing physicians, that really get it. And I'm just so grateful to you. And you know, I I, I think of them um, doctors like you as some of like my angels <laughs> that are really out there, um, you know, moving that the conversation forward. And and I truly appreciate it and gr- I'm grateful and. I would love for you to just um, leave us today with a message of hope. Uh, I always ask um, guests on the podcast that, you know, what um, can you sort of, that like a word of wisdom or something, you know, leave us on a positive note. Absolutely. The, there is so much hope. The fact that all of you who have polycystic ovary syndrome, right this minute, we don't offer a cure, but there is so much hope, and there's even a potential cure on the horizon. Like I talked about, we can identify children now who may have um, high propensity for PCOS so that your children can be intervened with at an early age to prevent the really worst manifestations of this condition. We now have so many nutraceuticals, which I, you know, which is like for us, Amy, to put together another program, including, I'll just throw some of these out, and anyone who wants to can can get to, back to me, and I will send you protocols that I have put together. I'm happy to email them to you. 
Um, and, and Amy has them, so you'd, not that you need me. Amy has all of these things, in, including such supplements as berberine, which works better than metformin, and N-acetylcysteine, which if we push the dose up high enough, we can get almost everyone to ovulate, and myo-inositol similarly, and um, all the, the sometimes blended with dechiro-inositol, and um, giving glutathione, and changing the diet. We know so much now about just go on a diet that is extremely low in carb and your testosterone level is going to plummet. We can change by your diet alone. We can have your insulin levels and we can have your testosterone levels. There is so much that we can do to improve everything about your life, your mood, your energy level. So just keep with it and you know work with, with me or other doctors in your community um, work with Amy and know that this is not doomsday. It is not that with all of the now tools that we know, we can monitor, we can measure, we can intervene, and in natural ways, we can really turn this around. So please, every day when you wake up, think this is a wonderful day, this is a beautiful day, and there, there are people out there like like Amy, who are doing everything in their power to help you. And, and she, you know, found me, and now I'm on board, too, and I'm here, too, and you can use me as a resource, and together we can give you that life that you deserve. Oh, well, that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, and, and I think that's true. Waking up with that positive attitude um, every day is, is a real game changer. Um, so thank you so much for your time again, Dr. Gersh, and thank you to everyone listening. Until next time, bye-bye.